Welcome to this very special bonus episode of Say Something Interesting. My name is Brent. With me today is my friend Jake. Jake is a professional counselor over in Richland. Family and uh, and uh, family and marriage life. Is that the kind of specific focus that you're at, Jake? Yeah, I do individual marriage, family. Um, but yeah, that's what I do. Everything. Um, and we wanted to take uh, a second and do, uh, we've done some of these kind of bonus interviews with, um, uh, university professors before, but we wanted to do one in light of some of the recent circumstances involving schools and families and extended, uh, involuntary homeschooling for a lot of parents, um, talk through some of the emotions. I mean, talk with a professional counselor. You get to listen in as kind of a third party. You get to have like basically a counseling session without actually having to drive anywhere or do anything like that. Um, and then hopefully it kind of breaks a wall down for you and lets you know a little bit about what it's like. And we can work through some of the emotions involved in finding out that uh, school's not starting in the way that we thought it was. And COVID's lasting longer than we thought it was. And specifically, uh, we wanted to do this for parents uh, of kids. So I'm hoping to do another one of these in, in the future and just in COVID-related general stuff. But um, Jake, I'd like to kind of focus on these parents who found out uh, last night or two nights ago, depending on whether they live in Richland or Kennewick, that school's not going to start the way that we thought it would. Uh, Pasco, we had a meeting on Tuesday night. That just got delayed, but it feels like it's delaying the inevitable. Um, Benton Franklin Health District's coming out and saying it's just not safe to open up schools. Therefore, one of these hopes and dreams that we had of this ever-moving light at the end of the tunnel was, well, at least our kids will go back to school, right? I mean, this, the COVID thing is, has been kind of a moving target in general and, and how we thought it would end or whatever. Uh, and then you add this on top of it and emotions are probably at an all time high or just reactions or uh, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, what kind of advice could you give to a parent who is working with this either in relation to their kids or relation to their teachers? I'll turn it over to you and just kind of intersect with questions as we go along if that works. Sure. Yeah. I love how you said involuntary homeschool. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it feels like. And I'm coming to this by the way, as a pastor, um, who have people who go in this, but also as a husband to a wife who just found out that she's also involuntary homeschooling for a little while longer too. So I'm, I'm coming to this as a, as a recipient of this, not just a facilitator. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It It's uh, definitely hitting a lot of parents uh, in a difficult way because it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword, right? You get all this extra time with your kids that you weren't expecting and quality family time. Uh, but also you're playing a role in your kid's life that you weren't really intending to play. Some parents did intend to play and, and were already uh, homeschooling their kids. Uh, but when parents are thrust into that and kids are thrust into that setting, uh, it can be very difficult and, and stressful. And uh, it's, it's super important. One of the reasons why school works, public school works, is because it's very structured. And the kids know exactly what to expect. They know that, you know, they're going to go to music class at this time and they're going to go to PE and then they're going to go to lunch. And, you know, all of those things are very structured. The rules in the classroom are structured. And I can't tell you how many parents have, have said, my kid is behaves so well at school, <laughs> at home. Yeah. They're a nightmare. Uh, and a lot of it is because of, that structure, but also because of that peer pressure too to uh, perform and to behave. And they know that, well, you know, I'm going to get my name on the board or I'm going to get sent to the office or, you know, things are going to happen. And 
there's not going to be as much emotion involved. And so in that respect, it's a lot easier for teachers to teach and to, to monitor classroom behavior than that because they're not their children. And so there's not that emotional tie uh, as much. And so keep that in mind, because uh, I get that question a lot as, as a therapist that how do you, how do you sit and listen to all these people? I, I just had two friends talk on the phone and, and it wiped me out for a whole day. And, <laughs> and, I, and I always remind people that the biggest difference is that they're close friends or their family members. And so that, that emotional connection is very uh, different. Yeah. Uh, so that, that would be probably the thing to remember in, in this whole, you know, being involuntarily at home is we have to understand that both the kids and both the parents are, are struggling with this transition and we need to set up systems and structures that help it to be successful. Uh, everything from, you know, we're going to wake up at this time and, and go to bed at this time and, you know, treat it more like school and we're going to have breaks, recess, lunch, and those kind of things. And I think what happens is it gets very loosey-goosey and uh, it's just hard for the kids to be motivated. It's hard for the parents and then their life's interrupted. Uh, and another thing that, that families are experiencing is not having these natural breaks of going to work or, you know, going to school where, you know, we get breaks from each other. We, we can love each other amazingly, yeah. but we all need breaks. And sometimes it's hard for us to schedule the breaks, especially if we're not introverts or uh, we feel like we can't take that space or we're being you know, or isolating ourselves or whatever. So it's important to schedule those breaks in to make sure that, you know, we're getting exercise outside, we're, we're getting adequate sleep and, and all of that. And I have plenty of teenagers that are going to, going to bed at 4 a.m. because they're <laughs> gaming all night and waking up at 2 p.m. And parents usually don't go for that very well. Right. Yeah. And I, this is a side trail that we don't have to go down because it's not related to parenting, but I'm sure you're even seeing that in terms of marriage counseling, because I know you do that. That's kind of a big focus for you, too. You and your wife, in fact, developed a like a one kingdom kind of marriage therapy course thing. It's online. So check that out if you're needing that. And I'm saying you might be needing that because not only do you need breaks from your kids, but oftentimes the, the lack of breaks from a spouse during quarantine. I know that marriage counseling and the, the rates of divorce have been kind of skyrocketing <laughs> during this time because people have been never, never been forced to spend this much time together um, but that also that makes more sense as an adult piece but then you know you gotta also translate that into a kid's piece too right. and when you said that whole idea of like the different hats that parents wear I always think of like um, we have been the type of people I, I can take my kids swimming and trying to train them how to swim but there's something about it being dad or mom that they just like they don't want to learn to swim from me you know I'll pay you to do the same thing to my kid, but because you're a different human being in their eyes, an authority figure or whatever, um, they will learn how to swim better on that way. And that also, I think, plays into kind of how these, how teachers have kind of operated. Like, I don't want to teach my kid math, even though I could. And, you know, <laughs> I know what they're doing, but they don't want to learn from me. What kind of 
any advice for a parent who's going to be attempting to kind of, I mean, obviously the schools are going to provide some material and they're going to do some things, but there's going to be a sense in which a parent is going to be expected to hold these kids accountable to make sure this work's getting done or questions of I've got issues with, with this. And, and there's going to be this pushback immediately from, you know, we, they can't dissociate the hat of your mom. Now your teacher, now your disciplinarian, now you're all this kind of stuff. Right. I mean, it's gotta be a weird dynamic at play. Yeah, that, that is hard. And I, that's why I mentioned that, uh, it, it is, every teacher will tell you it's much easier to teach other kids than their own kids, even their, their trained professionals. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the thing that you have to, you know, I see a lot of parents where they'll get into the thing of begging their kids to work or, um, you know, really trying to argue and, and get into a power struggle with that. And the thing that teachers do is you really try to instill ownership into the process and helping the kids feel very powerful and very, uh, uh, they have a lot of control where they get to do this packet or whatever else and you know if i do this packet then i get to you know go play with my friends or i get to you know play a video game or i get to go outside uh, or do something fun so it's this i'm choosing to do this so that i can choose to do that and it's very cause and effect and I, they do that at, at school too where it's like you're going to stay in from recess if you don't finish the packet uh, or, uh, you know, they, you know, if you don't dress down for, for PE, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can't do PE and then you don't get credited. So you have to have built in, uh, consequences and instead of beating your kids in his submission to do schoolwork, uh, you have to set up a, some kind of incentive program that, that has a, a negative side and a positive side that says, hey, if you don't do it, uh, life's not going to be very fun. If you do do it, life's going to be a lot, a lot of fun, and you're going to be able to have more freedom and, and do those kinds of things. And I like the idea of sitting down with kids and working out a strategy and a routine that is a, a joint project. Like, hey, what time do you think you work best? Uh, and you know, so there's some customization that can happen with how we want to structure things. You know, do you think we want to do, you know, 15 minutes, you know, increments or a half an hour or an hour? You know, do we want to do more in the morning or more in the afternoon? Or uh, so the more buy-in and the more ownership uh, that we can get with the kids, then we can kind of put it back on them and say, hey, you you chose this routine, so you know you, you get to do that. Yeah. And, uh, so giving them that more ownership is, I think, helpful. Any tips on rewards and consequences uh, during this time? I mean, obviously, I think um, mentally we think that our kids should listen to us just because we're their parents and, you know, because I said so sort of thing. And sooner or later, we realize the benefit of the human nature is that we respond to re rewards and consequences. You do this. You mentioned in control, like you do this and I'll let you play in your Kindle or your iPad or video games or whatever. You don't do this. There's going to be some consequences. Mm -hmm. 
any idea how does that change at all during this kind of fluid time or or do you have any tips just as a from a parenting structure point in general on how you handle rewards and consequences or recommend parents to do that yeah um i i like to include the kids in that process as well uh to where you give allow them to to brainstorm ideas of what do you what do they think is a fair consequence if they don't do you know what they're supposed to do and everything from chores to schoolwork to disrespect to you know any of that is really you know we're trying to manage behavior uh but we're also trying to build character in our kids and uh, the more that they can even be able to start brainstorming uh you know obviously that age appropriate yeah, brainstorm what what it, what kind of what kind of reward would they like and what kind of consequences it doesn't mean that whatever the kid says you do i mean it needs to be filtered uh through parents but i think some you know some parents do like a chip system or you know put in the coin jar or other you know do the whole gold star chart um i think anything that is very short and and very measurable and if there is some kind of a visual uh you know reference that can that can be helpful to see like hey i'm i'm almost there or uh i just lost ground uh, that can be uh, helpful i would say obviously you always have leverage with things that kids enjoy everything from you know, snacks and dessert, you know, to, you know, gaming systems, to, you know, toys, to going out and playing. So using that leverage to your advantage as a parent that says, hey, when a kid chooses this, they're also choosing that. And staying out of this role of I'm doing this to my kid. And I think that's what's hard. That's what's emotionally hard for parents is that I'm punishing my kid. I'm doing this. I'm taking this. I'm, you know, as opposed to helping the, the the child realize that they're choosing this. I'm choosing to give up my Game Boy. Uh, do they have a Game Boy still? <laughs> I, I know they exist still. I, my kids don't, but you know, who knows? <laughs> I'm, I'm revealing my. <laughs> Excuse me, my my Nintendo Switch. Excuse yeah, me. yeah. There you go. I'm choosing to give up my Nintendo uh, because I chose not to do my schoolwork, do my chore, as yeah. opposed to you did this, you know. Because parent kids want to point the finger at, the, at their parents and go, "You're so mean. You did this to me." It's like, well, you had the choice, you, right? You chose to not do this, and so you don't get this. But, uh, and so it sounds like semantics for some people, but it's really helpful. For kids to feel like, oh, I did choose to give this up. I choose chose to not be able to do this because I chose that. Yeah. Let me let me let me attach on to that and say, like, so what we were talking about is trying to help these kids understand who where to put the blame, or you know, because the blame at, at some point then becomes back to me. I set this up, I made those rules at some point previously, probably not thinking that they would ever come into play, but then they did, and now I don't have a game, you know, a switch to play on. Um, speaking of the blaming piece, um, can you speak to the, so right now, I mean, parents are, 
we're trying to make sense of what the fall looks like. And, and now, you know, some of us, there's still parents with two, two working parents. And so how do you, or even, even a single mom who's working and now you're taking away my childhood. What do I do with this? And there's a lot of angerness, anger, anger, angerness. That's not a word, a lot of anger and bitterness, um, towards all like whoever's in line. Right. So like, we're angry at this, we're angry at the, we're angry at the teachers for deciding this. And, oh, and that's not us. It's the union. Oh, it's the union. No, it's not us. It's the health department. It's the, we're just like firing at all cylinders, trying to just be, we're just trying to deal with anger and bitterness. And we, we don't do a good job of, uh, of understanding and going, not like who's at fault. Let's not play the fault game, but like redirecting that into mm-hmm. like, that's not really helpful. That's not getting us anywhere. Um, what, but, but it's still there. How do you, how do you, what would, what advice would you give to somebody who's like, all I can figure out now is angerness and bitterness and whoever's in front of me is receiving it. And it sucks that that's in the position that they're at. And sometimes it's like spouses or, you know, work peers or whatever, but there's just a lot of that going on. I think from what I've seen on, you know, in the internet in the last 48 hours. So <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are angry for a lot of reasons. Uh, and there's plenty of reasons these days, uh, for being angry and there's nothing wrong with anger. Uh, a lot of people are like, ah, anger, you know, avoid it at all costs. Uh, but it's how we express anger that is good or bad. Uh, and when we try to contain anger, it gets pretty ugly, uh, because, uh, we only have so much capacity for that. And so the biggest is the biggest advice I would give in terms of that feeling because it's very real. Like I'm angry at the, the teachers union or I'm angry at the district. I'm angry at the health department or whatever it is. Uh, and some people are angry because they're not protecting us good enough or they're too protective or so the biggest thing is we need to validate that anger in ourselves. It says, Hey, I'm angry and it's okay. And it isn't about a blame thing. I'm just angry. I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone. Um, this is not what I signed up for. Like you said, it's involuntary. Uh, and that is very normal for people to feel angry. It's just what do we do with that anger? If we don't do anything with that anger, uh, it, it's like a pot on the stove, right? If it's full, and life heats up and life is heating up all the time right now, it's gonna boil over and it's gonna burn and, and get all over the people around us. And so if we, you know, and we think that if we just turn off the heat, get it off the heat, you know, we're good to go. Well, the pot's still full and one guarantee you have in life is it's gonna heat up, right? Yeah. And boil over again. And so when you keep all that emotion in your pot, you're prone to boil over and boiling over takes a lot of, you know, it can be addictions. It can be, you know, lashing out panic attacks, you know, anger stuff, um, anxiety. So you have to identify what's in the pot. Okay. I'm feeling angry. I'm hurt. I'm sad. I'm scared. You know, whatever those emotions are. And, and then you have to process those. A good way to do that is journaling. Uh, just writing those, your brain seeing those word, those feeling words on the paper. It doesn't mean you have to be this professional journaler that is ready for publishing. It just means you just have to like chicken scratch it out, and and so your brain can see that you're organizing your emotions, your feelings, so that you're validating those. 
Because once they're on paper, you're like, well, I didn't really feel that. It's like, well, we got evidence right there now. If you did feel that and you, it's very important to process that. And it's amazing how therapeutic that can be. And that's why a lot of people in my office feel like, you know, they just come and just kind of vomit all that emotion out, but they're putting words to it and they're speaking it. And so they're validating themselves in doing that. I'm validating them by listening. And so that's why they feel like a hundred pound lighter and they're not carrying around that huge pot of emotion. And so life can heat up and there's really as much in your pot. Life heats up and it's like, yeah, it's, it's not, I'm not going to boil over. Uh, obviously talking to your spouse, talking to somebody, a close friend, family member, and just processing your emotion and, and being real. You know, not that it's not really about spewing against people or attacking people. It's more about I'm struggling. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm sad. I'm scared. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. My kids are going to be dumb. They're not going to be able to advance to the next grade because I'm clueless. I don't, yeah. Some of the parents are like, I don't think my kid had a chance anyways. And now you just made it even that much worse. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. For sure. Well, that's, that's what I would say with, with, that emotion is that take the time you need to just figure out what's in your pot, empty that out, and uh, and that has to be on a regular basis because our stuff going on pot every yeah. day. Yeah. Hey, talk about what's going on in our brains or emotions with the constant moving target because I just don't think that we've ever had such an such a, uh, a a long extended period of the unknowns of. You know, people said this state, this state, this state, this state. When these dials are in this direction, oop, that changed. This is the phase. The phase has changed. The dials changed. The dates of opening changes. Um, churches, I mean, I, I live in the church world. So, like, you know, when this thing first happened, we had big churches go, all right, we're going to close till August 1st. And now they come out and now they're changing. Now it's going to be the end of the year. We've kind of taken the approach of we just don't know. Like, we'll just hang on and we'll let you know when. But that's a big unknown. And it can feel like, like we're kind of dragging this out or, you know, we don't want to give a false hope that it's going to be next week, but I don't want to also say it's going to be January because who knows if it's even going to be January or it could be November. It could be October. Yeah. I mean, so this is a debate in our household of different strategies. Um, so like my, my wife thinks the whole idea of setting things up and, and then, you know, in far enough in advance and then, you know, hopefully that's a goal. It's an insight, you know, it works. Um, and anyways, I, can you speak to the emotions involved? I know that's not necessarily related to parent, although, you know, you're going to have, there's going to be these kids going, mom, when can we go back to school? When can we go back to school? And I don't know if I want to involve them in going, well, okay, so Kenwick says we're going to take it by a month by month basis. Or is it just better to say, we'll see when it's safe, we'll be back. I mean, what do you think in those? Yeah. A false hope. I mean, the Bible talks about false hope, right? Or, or, or the lack of hope uh, is, is very, very hard on us emotionally and our spirits because you know we want to have something to look forward to and uh that moving target is very difficult um what i would say even to the kid piece i just thought of this uh so i'll insert that is that that social piece a lot of adults are struggling with the social piece of that but the kids are very much start struggling with that uh, and that's one of the ways that kids thrive in school not because of necessarily they love learning but they love being around their friends and, and having that social piece and that that's challenging 
as far as uh, of having those things to look forward to and the emotions of the change. I mean, I, I'm probably the person that hates change the most. And my wife makes fun of me for that because <laughs> she's always trying to change things just to see how I react sometimes and how resilient I can be. But uh, change is hard for a lot of people. Uh, and it's hard to know what to grasp onto. You know, do we set it in 2021 and then we can actually, you know, count on that? Uh, but I, I would say the same kind of a thing, uh, like I just said with the anger and, and the frustration, is that there's emotion involved with that, that desire for hope and that desire for something to look forward to that is important to look forward to and look and to to acknowledge the fact that i'm really needing something to look forward to and that's why you know people are taking camping trips it's like yeah, at least i'm getting out of dodge and, and having that to look forward to or you know we're going to go down to the river or we're going to do some things uh, so i think because there's so much unknown and there's so much out of our control uh we can't really rely on those things we can't say well i'll look forward to when church opens or i'll look forward to when school opens uh because you're just setting yourself up for disappointment in something that you can't control but you can control whether you go down to the river or whether you go you know visit you know your cousin's house or uh you know do something you know, fun as a family where you can set some things up to look forward to. Yeah. I think I've seen that uh, recently just in conversations with people, we have people in the car industry within the church and just, you know, that kind of thing. But um, truck sales right now are crazy. They can't keep trucks on the lot. And the reason is people wanted to have something to control this summer. So they went out and bought a boat or a trailer because boat and trailer sales are like 600% up. And now that, because that's the only thing we can do, we can't fly anywhere. So we, we want to be able to go and, ensure right. that i can go camping in the middle of the woods can anybody stop me from camping in the woods no okay i'm gonna go do that right because i know friday night that's what that's where we'll be around a campfire um so i i do see that the value in figuring those things out and uh, i think that's really really smart um stuff yeah, yeah, you're right everyone's taking all their travel money and putting it into vehicles oh yeah absolutely yeah. yeah that's good man um yeah. Uh, anything else that stands out to you that is important uh, during this time? Um, I think with the parenting uh, and the kids at home, I think, like I said, it's a two-edged sword, right? It's like, wow, families are having more family time and, and more game nights than they've ever had before. And I think that's going to be uh, a really cool and, and benefit to this. Uh, but I, al I also remind people that don't be afraid to balance that with, you know, we have our in-room times or we have our alone times where we don't have to be all together as a family. We don't have to be doing family night every night. And we can say, hey, this is individual night and you get to do whatever you want by yourself and it's okay. And we don't have to feel guilty for that because we're being a bad family. So I, I, I always tell people that balance is good in life always, but it's even more 
important right now just to find balance balance between sitting in front of a computer and being outside balance between you know binge watching stuff on netflix and you know doing something active or spending time with the kids spending time alone spending time with your spouse spending time with friends you know so i'm really working with a lot of families in terms of imagining and and designing the schedule that works for everybody and having everybody's input in terms of how much time do we want for this how much time do we want for that and and it's going to be a fluid process but if we're always kind of looking at like yeah i think we had an hour of a long time let's make that a two hour or let's keep tweaking this so that we're trying to meet everyone's needs we're trying to keep it balanced uh and not being afraid to uh to look at the schedule and look at everyone's needs and is it represented in the schedule yeah. um, so. hey what advice for single moms single dads working moms working dads where either you know there's only one person at home and, and they they have to work or you know uh two parents it's a two-parent household but both parents work and this was never on the radar and now i mean i i'm not asking you for like life advice like who do you you know who do you talk to or what what daycare or whatever do you go to but like i mean those there's like i i would imagine an increased set of emotions in that kind of a scenario um, when those people come to you and they're asking you to reimagine what seemingly is an impossible solution, what kind of things are you recommending to them or encouraging them to keep in mind as they go through the decision-making process of what the fall looks like for them? Yeah, that is very emotional because uh, parents have become accustomed in our culture to trust their kids to a school, right, and teachers and, you know, I'm okay with my kid being there all day and being taught. And so now they're having to resort to bringing somebody in the home and not only for childcare, but also to try to help do some teaching because they're having to go to work. Uh, or even if they're working from home, they have to be working from home. and They can't be um, doing a lot of that. Um, so it's, it's adjusting to that and, 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 finding that comfort zone in in this new normal uh, but it's also uh, you know trying to be flexible in that and realize that that doesn't make me a bad parent because i'm not homeschooling my kids because there would be no home for the homeschooling right, <laughs> didn't work. right. Uh, the home would be gone by november right <laughs> exactly right. so that that's completely uh, okay obviously that makes it that much harder i mean the parents who can tag team and say hey i'm going to work with you have kids and then you know we'll, we'll tag team uh is a lot easier uh and so the single parent i think definitely needs to reach out for support uh and and really make sure that they're leaning on their support network uh, but also their, their their children are much more pressured to be more autonomous and be more self-motivated and that has to be a team effort like i would i would have some heart-to-hearts with kids even at any age and just say hey 
we need to work together through this time to get through this, but also to help each other. Because the kids are helping the parents by saying, I'm going to do my schoolwork while you're in the next room teleworking or whatever, or I'm, and, and we're going to, we're going to work together as a team and, and try to do the both responsibilities that we both need to do. Uh, and, and really kind of rise to the occasion per se. Awesome, man. I know you got something coming up at 10, so I want to wrap it up with just one last question that is the most pressing question of all. Uh, how'd you get that great hair? I, that's the one that we're getting text messages in. Um, it's it's still jet black. I mean, I don't know how, how that works, Jake. But uh, kudos I on that. I don't either. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's the the hair on the head that God gave me. And there you go. Um, just, hey, if if somebody's watching this and is interested in diving more into further conversations or counseling appointments with you or I know your wife, you and your wife practice in this have the same practice or I don't know what's co-practicers. How does that, what's the term there? I don't know. Um, <laughs> we share our private practice. Yes. There you go. That's the, uh, that's the term. Yeah. Um, what, how do they find you? How do they sign up for something like that? What does that look like? Give us a little commercial for your, for your business. Oh, sure. Yeah. You, my wife is Jennifer. I'm Jake. Uh, it's doctors, uh, J and J Dean Hill. Uh, you can just call me at uh, 366-8318. My wife, Jennifer, she's at 366-9399. Um, feel free to call. We're in Queensgate Village, our office, and we're kind of doing a modified opening where some people are coming in with masks in the waiting room and as long as they're healthy. But we're doing a lot of uh, telehealth where we're doing it over Zoom, FaceTime, phone. So uh, if we can help in any way, uh, glad to do that. And don't worry about writing down those numbers. I'll put them in uh, the notes and uh, link to a website as well so that you can just kind of see those there so you don't have to replay this or pause this or write those things down. But <laughs> Jake, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for uh, being a part of this. Uh, we appreciate what you guys do in the community and the, uh, the mental health and the therapy that you provide for a lot of people is a big step. And, and uh, I know in this time, probably more than ever, I don't know, more than in, the, in recent in recent memory, at least for sure, um, more needed than ever. So thanks for your work. Hey, you bet. Thanks, Brent, for having me. You bet. And that'll do it for uh, today's episode of the bonus episode for uh, Say Something Interesting. Have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you soon.